Undoubtedly, you know this, you felt this. It's another hot and steamy afternoon in our listening area. Another heat warning in effect today. Third day in a row, I believe, for a heat warning in the province. Earlier this week, of course, the UK breaking some longstanding heat records for a summer where the average temperatures usually are somewhere in the 70s, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It felt earlier this week more like 105 and did you see the uh, video? I mean, there was a melted airport runway, a bent railway as well in the UK due to the uh, heat there. In fact, we have broken, have you seen this? We've broken 188 global heat records so far this year. Nearly 200 global heat records broken in 2022. And it's got some wondering what a future that includes extreme heat, what that will look like and are we prepared for it? And for more on that, here is a Nick Babington. He is a renowned futurist. He's the chief futurist with the Futurist Think Tank. And he joins us to discuss this a little further. Nick, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. It's good to be here, Jeff. All right. As somebody who studies and looks at the future, Nick, uh, first of all, I just wanted kind of your take on what you've seen this week, what it's meant to you. Is the future of extreme weather predicted by so many? Is it here? (laughs) Well, it certainly seems like we're ahead of schedule, actually, Jeff. I mean, I kind of wonder why we're so surprised that that, that all of this is happening. I I like to talk about 2022 as the the coolest year in the next 100 years. So it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter year in, year out. This is normal. This is is absolute normality. Uh, Now, not even a new normal. This is is it. And, And we've already seen... You know, over the past three or four years, some pretty significant uh, trends towards you know sig- significant heat and wildfires and and smoky atmospheres. We saw a lot of parts of the world with with big floods and big problems. We saw a lot of this in Canada as well, right? I mean, I you know why we're surprised? We we're sort of caught in this failing industrial complex. You know how our how our houses are built. Like in the UK, I was there a couple of weeks ago before before it got really hot. You know, no one's got air conditioning. So 105 degree heat is a real issue, you know, and their, their version of wildfires is literally houses in London being on fire, right? And, and it's because, you know, the place we built to live, the infrastructure that we use, roads and, and whatever, isn't built for this environment. So there's going to be a bit of a reckoning over the next five to 10 years of trying to invest our way into a world of sustainability of our industrial world and also our personal world as well. All right. Well, let's uh, cover a few areas here. If we are living with extreme heat uh, for the foreseeable uh, future, I mean, I just mentioned, I'm sure you've seen this video as well, the uh, tarmac melting at one UK uh, airport, also a railway ties uh, bending in the heat. When it comes to transportation, are we going to watch a lot of our infrastructure kind of crumble in a way before our eyes uh, due to extreme heat? Well, all of this infrastructure is crumbling on a yearly basis anyway, and it has been for decades. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're always constantly fixing this. We're, we're always constantly making sure that everything is tip top and we can use it. So so this is just a new version of that that's affected by, by extreme heat. I've worked with clients to do future scenario planning, you know, looking out to the year 2040, 2015, whatever, to wonder what, you know, a world of extreme heat would be like in, in places like Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Qatar, and whatever. And, you know, we even speculate that everyone's going to be living underground and only working at night, right? So it's kind of, are there going to be some extremes and changes? I don't think so in Canada. Are there going to be some painful times? Absolutely there is. I mean, drought as as a particular trend is something that I watch. 
Um, and, and I talk about the water energy uh, food nexus. So th these are things that are inextricably like linked Right. So Canadian drought, drought monitor today is saying, you know, southern Ontario, Saskatchewan, northern territories, they're all abnormally dry. So is BC's interior. But if you look globally at availability of water, that affects other things. So they actually think by sort of the end of the century that 35 percent reduction in the yields of global vegetable and legume production due to uh, water scarcity. And they also think that 40% shortfall of available water across the globe by 2030, which is absolutely a reality, is going to have an effect on on, on a whopping 98% of global electric power generation. So, so this cuts mm. right to the infrastructure that we all rely on. And governments are going to be looking at, I mean, you've got Joe Biden, his government trying to get this Green New Deal through whatever. You know, that's the sort of stuff that we need to be talking about. Big investments, you know, trillion dollar investments in changing, you know, how we operate, getting off of our reliance of fossil fuels and building resiliency in cities and, and rural areas so that we can all live, you know, good, productive lives. Yeah. You know, when we talk about building resiliency, particularly when it comes to transportation, I mean, I'm just thinking about I'm seeing so many in downtown Toronto, of course, uh, construction and uh, roads being uh, repaved. Are we making a mistake even there, Nick, of just repaving with the, the asphalt, the old asphalt we always use? I mean, can it stand up to some of this extreme heat? Do we really need to start uh, thinking, I guess, on that sort of granular level? Uh, well, you know, it, it's difficult when, when you're talking about a multi-million person city and it's growing and you're going to keep things moving, th there's going to be a lot of band-aids in the world. And, you know, the, the, the metaphorical band-aid is, is going to be applied in millions of places over the next few years because it's really difficult to turn this, this big ship that we're in to, to suddenly move quickly. So we're going to have to have these different steps forward. We can't just say, okay, we're going to just, okay, I made a decision, we're no longer going to burn fossil fuels, and we're going to change every industry. And then uh, no one's going to drive, uh, you know, internal combustion engine cars, everyone's going to be electric, whatever. You just can't do that. There's no magic switch. This takes decades of, of cultural change, takes decades of, of just a transformation of this infrastructure and how we operate as a world. You know, but but now we have to sit down and realize that, you know, all the politicking needs to be put aside, that we need to do something significant to actually make make a difference in the world. We've we've got a, we've got an old crumbling architecture around ourselves. And, you know, the Industrial Revolution started nearly 300 years ago. So, you know, we, we need to change uh, as a world and you know, who's going to pay for it and then who's going to do the work? Um it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not only the roads, I'm thinking when it comes to major cities like uh, Toronto, do we start need to rethinking, I think you mentioned architecture a moment ago, just uh, how we're building condominiums and other big uh, buildings and towers, not only uh, how we're building them and designing them, but the materials we're using. Uh, do we need to start thinking about that when it comes to cities? Yeah, we absolutely do. You know, thinking about materials that can be more heat resistant, uh, thinking about energy. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that do go out there and build this kind of infrastructure. We need to rethink cities in a way as well. Um, we need to start thinking about renewable energy in the cities and on a per building basis or even on a per, per home basis. Growing our own food is a huge opportunity. Heat pumps, water evaporators, all of these things are going to be something are going to be things that we're going to have to consider in the modern architecture of cities uh, plus also thinking about structurally 
know, how we conserve the water that falls on, on our cities. You know, how do we take all of that snow that falls in winter and put that to some good use, right? Versus the, the calamity that, that can mm-hmm. cause. And we know that, Jeff, right? But like, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I live in Toronto as well and I drive around and it's like, we, we've already dealt in Canada with like very, very cold winters and that change between very cold winters and very hot summers. You know, it's going to get hotter and hotter. I mean, Canada's not really the place that, that it's going to be uh, a, a huge, huge problem um, versus like the Middle East uh, and that whole band around the equator. That's when we're really going to start to see places that you literally can't live in as a human. Wow. Can I ask you just in our remaining minutes here about uh, healthcare and the effect that extreme heat might have on our healthcare? We know we've got a healthcare system. We're hearing this from our uh, doctors and officials, a healthcare system that's already in crisis, even pre-pandemic, the pandemic added to that. But uh, what sort of uh, additional stress do we believe something like living in extreme heat might place on our healthcare system, Nick? Well, you know, as, as our homes get warmer and those that aren't lucky enough to have air conditioning, which is a huge privilege to have these days, um, they're going to be struggling. I mean, it can it can actually cause a huge amount of problems um, just just out of nowhere, right? I mean, we remember the, the BC heat, heat dome last year. Hundreds of people died um, because that heat dome um, was, was so ferocious. And that's what we have to worry about is mortality rates being linked directly to climate inaction and, and and the warming warming environment. So we have to work out the most vulnerable in society, how to protect them and how to put in sort of capabilities to be able to uh, be looked after. I was, I was chatting with someone the other day. I can't remember exactly uh, which city it was in, but they lit. Oh no, someone in Portland in, in the US. And I was chatting to them and they said, yeah, we opened up our convention center and people moved out of their homes and slept on camp beds in the convention center because the heat was so ferocious that people were literally going to be in a very difficult state of affairs. All right. Well, listen, this is a very sobering conversation, but uh, always a a good one and uh, appreciate your time. Uh, Nick, thanks so much uh, for doing this this afternoon. Yeah. Thanks so much. And as a human race, we're going to make it through Jeff. So I think we're going to be okay. We just need to take action. You know it. Thank you. Nick Badminton is the chief futurist with the futurist think tank. And we are back after a quick break here on the Jeff MacArthur show. Stay with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.